Random Pages Audio presents Paper Towns, written by John Green. Tourists never go to downtown Orlando because there's nothing there but a few skyscrapers owned by banks and insurance companies. It's the kind of downtown that becomes absolutely deserted at night and on the weekends. Except for a few nightclubs half filled with the desperate and the desperately lame. As I followed Margot's direction through the maze of one-way streets, we saw a few people sleeping on the sidewalk or sitting on the benches, but nobody was moving. Margot rolled down the window, and I felt the thick air blow across my face, warmer than night out to be. I glanced over and saw strands of hair blowing all around her face. Even though I could see her there, I felt entirely alone among these big and empty buildings, like I'd survived the apocalypse and the world had been given to me, this whole and amazing and endless world, mine for the exploring. You just giving me the tour? I asked. No, she said. I'm trying to get to the Sun Trust building. It's right next to the asparagus. Oh, I said, because for once on the night I had useful information. That's on South. I drove down a few blocks and then turned. Margot pointed happily, and yes, there before us was the asparagus. The asparagus is not technically an asparagus spear, nor is it derived from asparagus parts. It is just a sculpture that bears an uncanny resemblance to a 30-foot-tall piece of asparagus, although I've also heard it likened to 1. A green glass beanstalk. 2. An abstract representation of a tree. 3. A greener, glassier, uglier Washington monument. 4. The jolly green giant's gigantic jolly green phallus. At any rate, it certainly does not look like a tower of light, which is the actual name of this sculpture. I pulled in front of a parking meter and looked over at Margot. I caught her staring into the middle distance just for a moment, her eyes blank, looking not at the asparagus but past it. It was the first time I thought something might be wrong. Not my boyfriend is an ass wrong, but really wrong. And I should have said something. Of course, I should have said thing after thing after thing after thing, but I only said, may I ask why you have taken me to the asparagus? She turned her head to me and shot me a smile. Margot was so beautiful that even her fake smiles were convincing. We gotta check on our progress, and the best place to do that is from the top of the SunTrust building. I rolled my eyes. Nope. No. No way. You said no breaking and entering. This isn't breaking and entering. It's just entering. 
because there's an unblocked door. Margot, that's ridiculous. Of, I will acknowledge that over the course of the evening there has been both breaking and entering. There was entering at Becca's house. There was breaking at Jason's house. And there will be entering here. But there has never been simultaneous breaking and entering. Theoretically, the cops could charge us with breaking. And they could charge us with entering. But they could not charge us with breaking and entering. So I've kept my promise. Surely the SunTrust building has, like, a security guard or whatever I said. They do, she said, unbuckling her seatbelt. Of course they do. His name is Gus. We walked in through the front door. Sitting behind a broad semicircular desk sat a young guy with a struggling goatee wearing a regent's security uniform. What's up, Margot? he said. Hey, Gus, she answered. Who's the kid? We are the same age, I wanted to shout, but I let Margot talk for me. This is my colleague, Q. Q, this is Gus. What's up, Q? asked Gus. Oh, we're just scattering some dead fish about town, breaking some windows, photographing naked guys, hanging out in the skyscraper lobbies at 3.15 in the morning, that kind of thing. Not much, I answered. Elevators are down for the night, Goss said. Had to shut them off at three. You're welcome to take the stairs, though. Cool. See you, Goss. See you, Margo. How the hell do you know the security guard at the Sun Trust building? I asked once we were safely in the stairwell. He was a senior when we were freshmen, she answered. We gotta hustle, okay? Time's a-wasting. Margot started taking the stairs two at a time, flying up, one arm on the rail, and I tried to keep pace with her, but couldn't. Margot didn't play any sports, but she liked to run. I sometimes saw her running by herself, listening to music in Jefferson Park. I, however, did not like to run or, for that matter, engage in any kind of physical exertion. But now I tried to keep up a steady pace, wiping the sweat off my forehead and ignoring the burning in my legs. When I got to the 25th floor, Margot was standing on the landing, waiting for me. Check it out, she said. She opened the stairwell door and we were inside a huge room with an oak table as long as two cars and a long bank of floor-to-ceiling windows. Conference room, she said. It's got the best view in the whole building. I followed her as she walked along the windows. Okay, so there, she said, pointing. It's Jefferson Park. See our houses? Lights is still off, so that's good. She moved over a few panes. Jane's house. Lights off. No more cop cars. Excellent. Although it might mean he's made it home, which is unfortunate. Becca's house was too far away to see, even from up here. She was quiet for a moment. 
and then she walked right up to the glass and leaned her forehead against it. I hung back, but then she grabbed my t-shirt and pulled me forward. I didn't want our collective weight against a single pane of glass, but she kept pulling me forward and I could feel her bald fist in my side. And finally I put my head against the glass as gently as possible and looked around. From above, Orlando was pretty well lit. Beneath us, I could see the flashing don't walk signs at intersections and the street lights running up and down the city in a perfect grid until downtown ended at the winding streets and cul-de-sacs of Orlando's infinite suburb started. It's beautiful, I said. Margot scoffed. Really? You seriously think so? I mean, well, maybe not, I said, although it was. When I saw Orlando from an airplane, it looked like a Lego set sunk into an ocean of green. Here at night, it looked like a real place, but for the first time, a place I could see. As I walked around the conference room, and then through the other offices on the floor, I could see it all. There was a school, there was Jefferson Park, there, in the distance, Disney World. There was wet and wild. There, the 7-Eleven where Margot painted her nails, and I fought for breath. It was all here, my whole world. And I could see it just by walking around the building. It's more impressive, I said out loud. From a distance, I mean. You can't see the wear on things, you know. You can't see the rust or the weeds or the paint cracking. You see the place as someone once imagined it. Everything's uglier close up, she said. Not you, I answered before thinking better of it. Her forehead is still against the glass. She turned to me and smiled. Here's a tip. You're cute when you're confident, and less when you're not. Before I had a chance to say anything, her eyes went back to the view, and she started talking. Here's what's not beautiful about it from here. You can't see the rust or the cracked paint or whatever. But you can tell what the place really is. You see how fake it all is. It's not even hard enough to be made out of plastic. It's a paper town. I mean, look at it, Q. Look at all those cul-de-sacs. Those streets that turn in on themselves. All the houses that were built to fall apart. 